Hey, Mark Steele here, producer of Living Through the Word. We work really hard to make this podcast ministry a voice for all of the great things God is accomplishing through confessional Anglicanism and faithful Christianity. You'll notice we make this resource free to the public. There's no Patreon subscription, no hiding of premium content behind the paywall. Everyone gets the quote-unquote good stuff. But this isn't free to make. There are significant expenses tied up in the creation of a program like ours. Hours of production recording, equipment, software licenses, website hosting, etc. In 2020, one of our goals is to make Living Through the Word a sustainable and growing ministry through financial support from listeners. If this podcast has helped you in your walk with Christ, would you consider giving to this ministry? A small gift of 10 or $20 will go a long way towards supporting us in our work. There is a convenient place to give online at the Living Through the Word section of adlw.org, or you can follow the link in the show notes. Thank you for your time, and without any further ado, let's start this week's interview. I'm Julian Dobbs, the Diocesan Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word and host of this podcast. It's my great pleasure to be joined this week by the Reverend Angelo Vale, pastor of Christ Reformed Church in Alexandria, Pennsylvania. Uh, Angelo, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on Living Through the Word. Bishop Julian, it's a a joy to be able to be part of this. I've enjoyed this podcast for so long. So I need to give a little bit of a disclaimer to those who listen that uh, uh, I'm I'm thankful for Angelo in many ways. Firstly, for his commitment to Christ. Uh, I know from talking to him that uh, he's a man who's deeply uh, committed to following our Lord. Uh, in the fellowship of his church. Uh, He is deeply committed and in love with his wife uh, and their children. It's just such a a great joy uh, to to have you with us. Uh, We weren't going to talk about this, Angelo, but just tell those who are listening about your family. I'd love to talk about them. Um, My wife and I have been married for over a decade, which is kind of unreal in many ways to consider. She is my best friend and, and my right hand in so much of our ministry. And I have three children. I have a, a six-year-old boy named Jonathan, and then two wonderful girls, uh, Eliana, who is four, and Thea Elizabeth, who is two. Well, uh, we're so thrilled that uh, you make mention of them, and we pray God's blessing uh, to be upon you and the family. Uh, Angelo, we, we primarily asked you onto the show today to discuss your Master of Theology thesis research. Uh, But before we get to do that, will you tell us a little bit about your journey to the pulpit? How did you end up being a minister? Well, I uh, had the distinct privilege of being raised in a Christian home, although I grew up in New York City. I was uh, christened in a Roman Catholic church. Uh, My parents, being uh, from a Puerto Rican background, it was pretty typical to be Roman Catholic. Uh, But it was nominal for them, and and they both uh, were converted under gospel ministry in a local uh, Pentecostal church. And it was in that local Pentecostal church that I learned to love the Lord and the Word of God and have a passion for Him. And as I grew older and we, we moved, moved if you grew up in New York City, the promised land is Jersey. Your, your goal is to get out of the city and get into the suburbs. And while I was there, I 
attended this uh, large uh, international megachurch, and I fell in love with the Lord, and I felt most alive when I was studying His Word and sharing His Word with other people. And so I knew of a college that was related to the denomination of the church, and so I went to Valley Forge Christian College uh, right outside Philadelphia, which is now called the University of Valley Forge. I was content to just actually be a youth pastor the rest of my days, but then something devastating happened to me. I uh, I learned Greek and was introduced to the church fathers. I had very good men who invested in me and it changed my life forever. I, I loved to study and learn, and uh, I just continued to devour book after book. And while I was in seminary, uh, I'm in the seminary, while I was in my undergraduate program, I was introduced to Reformed theology through the means of Mark Driscoll and John Piper and others, and eventually got to this guy named John Calvin. And so while I was there, I studied and ended up at Westminster Seminary, realizing I needed more training. And I went into Westminster Seminary as a Pentecostal, credo-baptistic uh, person and, and left being covenantal, pedo-baptistic, um, more thoroughgoing Reformed. Um, all along the way, I knew I wanted to serve the Lord and, and preach His Word and continue to do that, but that was a very difficult time uh, in terms of figuring out an identity. But all along the way, knowing that I wanted to pastor the church and received an opportunity to do so, and I'm still in my first pastorate. I've been here about six and a half years in central Pennsylvania and love it. Uh, that's fantastic. What a story. Just just tell me again that phrase. I was trying to process it through. You've used it once before uh, with me. A Pentecostal, tell me again uh, how you described yourself. Sure. Well, there was more adjectives to throw around, but <laughs> Pentecostal, um, so believing in the, the, the continuation of the extraordinary gifts. Uh, I was dispensational. Uh, I was uh, credo-baptistic. I was not for infant baptism. I, in fact, repudiated my own infant baptism and was rebaptized at 13. Uh, a position I, I don't share today, but I was consistent as a catechumen of the Pentecostal Church, though I imagine they wouldn't use that language. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's a it's a great gift, isn't it, to just pause for a moment and look back and see how the Lord has used different parts of our lives to bring us to the place where uh, He's using us in a particular context uh, right now. Um, you're a friend of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. You joined us in Southampton, Pennsylvania, uh, for the concluding part of our 2019. Um, missions conference and synod. You joined us, I think, for our closing service of Holy Communion. Um, what brought you there, apart from the uh, beauty of Souderton? Souderton has many beauties, one of them being mainly thrift shops galore. Um, but I was in the area visiting a, a friend of mine, my father-in-law, and my wife's family lives 10 minutes down the road from the very church you were at. I was visiting my advisor for my THM thesis, and one of my uh, friends from my undergraduate days uh, was actually uh, there at Souderton. He was a priest present. It was Joel Lafferty. And then I also saw uh, Stephen as well being uh, ordained to the holy priesthood. In addition to all that, that very church where you were at was where I was catechized in uh, Reformed liturgics. The pastor there, John Niederhaus, is a close friend of mine. And uh, it was just a, a quadruple whammy. And I obviously was required to be there statistically at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. We hope that uh, you might be able to join us again. Uh, your postgrad uh, research at Westminster Theological Seminary focuses on the 17th century theologian John Owen. Uh, I think if I'm, uh, I, I'm uh, uh, correct, correct me if I'm not, that Owen was also 
briefly um, dabbled in politics. He was a member of of uh, uh, the House of Commons, I think, or uh, some other august body. Um, what? Why did you choose him as a focus for your research? Well, for a long time, I was chiefly a guitarist, and part of the philosophy, uh, at least as I saw it, for a guitar is if you love somebody, find out who their influences are. You know, I love John Mayer, so I went behind Mayer to. Uh, to Eric Clapton, to B.B. King, to Albert King, and to others. And so I just kind of adopted that same method to pastors I loved. I loved Sinclair Ferguson. As I was growing in my understanding of Reformed theology, Ferguson was someone who stood out to me, just this masterful homiletician, just able to preach and teach in such wonderful ways. And I asked, you know, who, who are his influences? And, you know, his dissertation was, was on Owen, and he often spoke of him. And so that was an introduction to Owen, which began with Owen's works on temptation, the mortification of sin, um, and his work on the Holy Spirit. Um, so those were my beginning points, or, or the reasons why I pursued Owen in particular. I'm I'm so thrilled we're talking about Owen on this episode of Living Through the Word today. One of the former guests of the show and speaker at our missions conference and synod, uh, my friend Dr. Lee Gatiss, argues that Owen who is often classified as a Puritan, sometimes claimed as an early Baptist, was, uh, in fact, an early Anglican. Uh, Legatus writes, The Reverend John Owen was, let it be remembered, an ordained Anglican minister. He served for several years as the vicar in succession of two Paris churches in Essex before becoming the dean of the Cathedral Church of Christ in Oxford. He may, like his father, have called himself a Puritan, but not been a fan of some of the aspects of the church's government and ceremonies. But doctrinally, he was entirely in accord with the confessional basis of Anglicanism. As it says of the third, as he says of the thirty-nine articles, what is purely doctrinal, we may fully embrace and constantly adhere unto. So Owen's work is just so outstanding, and it's no surprise that many may lay a claim to him. Uh, Brother Angelo, how has your research led you to classify John Owen? Uh, I would use the word Christian as a, a sufficient <laughs> word. Um, you know, Owen is, is such an interesting character. If you look through his earlier pastoral writings, he actually speaks quite strongly against both the Episcopal polity as well as uh, congregational polity. You know, he, he's not ashamed to admit his shifts because he eventually does shift from being a kind of a generic Presbyterian to being more of a congregationalist. Uh, and he does that by virtue of uh, this work by Cotton Mather called uh, Keys of the Kingdom. But Owen, again, this quote comes at a time in 1667 where it's difficult to be someone outside of the established church. He's trying to demonstrate that what he is holding to and those who are sympathetic with him is the very same doctrine that was part of the uh, heart and soul of historical uh, reformed Anglicanism. I, I went on to look at Lee's uh, statement, and I'm in agreement with Lee because uh, you know John Owen was a deacon in the Church of England and a priest of the Church of England. He was held accountable by, by the articles when he was uh, ordained. Uh, but even a little further in that reference, which is uh, Works 13, page 552, Owen goes on to write, We have no new faith to declare, no new doctrine to teach, no private opinions to divulge, no point or truth to be professed, no, not one, which hath not been declared, taught, divulged, and esteemed as the common doctrine of the Church of England ever since the Reformation. 
this is a mm. useful political point for him at this point, you know, as he's trying to <laughs> argue for his own. Uh, but but also doctrinally, he's saying there's there's nothing unique about us. We're we're, we're consistent with our standards. Yeah, isn't that very uh, impacting and powerful? You talk about being in agreement with Lee Gatiss. Uh, I've always found it um, to be helpful to be in agreement with Lee wherever possible. Uh, and so if Lee's listening to this episode, uh, I know that he will give a wonderful Cambridge chuckle to such um, a comment. I'm thinking about the people who, are, who for um, the very first time in this episode are hearing about John Owen. They may have never heard of him until uh, they've um, uh, opened up this uh, episode of Living Through the Word. Uh, to someone who's never heard of John Owen, um, what would what would you say to encourage people to read his work? I would encourage them uh, to look at some of the more modern reprints of Owen's work that have been put out through the wonderful people at the Banner Truth Trust. They've had the uh, the great love for for people who who want to get into Owen uh, by providing these abridged um, versions of his works that, that make him far more palpable uh, because Owen, because of his classic training in Oxford and, and uh, just the, the brilliance of his own mind, he's his English, it's as if you're reading a Latinized English. And sometimes that can be difficult. There can be a learning curve uh, just going to his original works, not all of them, but some of them more than others. And so I would commend them to look at a work like The Mortification of Sin, that's a work that you can find for under 15 bucks through the Banner of Truth Trust. And it was originally a series of sermons written to teenage boys at Oxford. I mean, you can't get much more practical than that. What lot needs to hear about mortifying their sin more than that? Um, but it's, it's, it's immensely practical. Um, and, and that would be a good place to go. And I would look at the rest of their uh, Puritan paperback series that John Owen uh, has. Thanks. We'll put the link to Banner of Truth uh, uh, in in the show notes of uh, this episode. A very cursory review of a research database showed me over 100,000 papers where Owen is either the main focus of the paper or tangentially mentioned. Uh, what part of Owen's work are you researching that adds to that very crowded field of study? I think you're, you're absolutely right to say it is crowded. <laughs> it's becoming very... Uh oversaturated. Um, I am looking to talk about something that I don't really see a lot of writing on. I mean, when we consider Owen, so often people will highlight his uh, continuities and discontinuities with uh, the medieval church, maybe someone like Thomas Aquinas, or they'll look at his use of patristic sources, or they'll look at his uh, his biblical exegesis. You know, one of his greatest works is a uh, is a seven-volume commentary. You know, Lee Gatiss himself, you've mentioned, did his work on uh, Owen on the Book of Hebrews. I mean, that commentary alone is over two million words. Um, but but not many people are writing about Owen as a pastor um, in terms of his practical divinity or pastoral theology. I found as I was researching only one thesis on it. There's one thesis and I think one Thamelios article, and that's really it. So I found a hole and I found something practical and interesting to me because I'm a pastor. And I thought, what does it look like to be a pastor in a time and place where it's dangerous, difficult, and you know, costly to stand for what you believe? How do you pastor God's people um, when you could be arrested for that or fined um, or even killed in some cases? Angelo, the, the clergy listening uh, to this podcast, uh, the ministers who are listening, what encouragement should they take in what you've found so far in your research about John Owen? The the big takeaway that, that I found with Owen that I was not expecting um, 
was that after listing all the duties that pastors have, which he even admits is not exhaustive, he, he says that this is going to cause every single minister to tremble and cry out loud. <laughs> At one point, he says that the consideration of all these skills and duties is sufficient to stir up all ministers unto fervent prayer for supplies of divine aid and assistance for that work, which in their own strength, they can no way answer. So I think the practical benefit is to be overwhelmed with your work and not be fearful of being overwhelmed, but go to Christ on your knees and seek strength and power and encouragement from the only place you can, which is, again, from Christ. And and you're still, um, you're still faithful in your work as a minister and pastor after all your research uh, in John, on John Owen. Uh, has has that research strengthened your own ministry? As in my opinion. So, Angelo, when will when will uh, your thesis be completed, and how can we get hold of it and read it? <laughs> well, my uh, deadline is March first, and uh, I've got one more chapter to finish and a conclusion. I'm hoping to get it done. I meet with my advisor tomorrow. Uh, Lord willing, he'll say good job, and then. Um, after that, I'm, I'm I'm hoping when it's all finalized to try and see if I can get it published. It would be my my dream to kind of get it through the banner of truth since they've been uh, the most wonderful lot to uh, help me in this endeavor uh, with their collected writings of Owen and the paperbacks. But you know, I'll, I'll be open to other publishers. But again, that's that's all hopes and dreams. It may become, you know, who, who knows what the Lord will allow. Angelo, I wanted to ask you. Um, uh, sometimes we get some level of pushback from people who say, why are you studying these guys from the Reformation? Uh, we've moved, uh, we've moved uh, in our, in our uh, intellectual understanding of the scriptures, we've moved and we're more sophisticated in society. Why should we jump back and look at guys from the 17th century? Is, isn't it time that we hear from some modern day theologians? How would you respond to that? think that people who speak like that often are individuals who perhaps aren't reading characters from the 16th and 17th century. How, uh, how, how can we walk away from someone uh, who, who himself is so willing to lose everything for the sake of the gospel? In his mind, he was, he was being consistent to the gospel to the point of losing influence and positions. I mean, he had offerings all over the place. And did not pursue them because of his affection for Christ and what he believed to be the most faithful expression of that. So that's just a kind of a broad pragmatic view. Secondarily, I would say that in Owen, especially in book three on his work of the Holy Spirit, I have found the richest vein of Trinitarian theology that continues to cause my ears to bleed and my mind to seep out through my nose, I guess. Not to be gross, sorry. Uh, but just, it's so complex, but it's not being complex for complexity's sake, but rather realizing that there are limits for what the finite mind can ascertain concerning he who is infinite. In addition with Owen, because of his proper training, as you read him, you're really reading the best that Western that the Western Catholic tradition has to offer. I mean, the statistics on him concerning who he quotes is unreal. He's consistently interacting with characters such as Gregory of Nanzianzen, uh, St. Augustine. He, he deals with Thomas Aquinas at different points. I mean, there's so much there. And that's what makes Owen interesting, because in some ways he's not that original. In some ways he is, but but he's not trying to be. He, he's trying to be faithful and honor the godly heritage that's been handed down to him through the ages. We're taking a short break in the middle of this episode to thank you for being a listener to Living Through the Word. This is a podcast ministry of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or our diocese, 
please visit adlw.org on the web or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you swing by our website, stop in and sign up for our mailing list. It's right on the front page and it's the best way to stay on top of ADLW news. If you'd like to partner with us by providing monetary support, please click the Donate tab under the Living Through the Word menu on ADLW.org. Thank you for being with us today, and we hope that you'll continue to be a listener to Living Through the Word. I'm here with the Reverend Angelo Vale. In addition to being a full-time pastor, a student, and a father, Angelo has a couple of very powerful side projects that are useful in ministry and have benefited pastors in our own Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. The church has struggled a bit in the past decade to effectively use the new medium of the internet effectively. Angelo, you you have a, a, a weekly program called Five Minutes in the Belgic Confession, Uh, Tell us a little bit about this program, and if you would unpack some of the practical aspects of what it takes to get it off the ground. I know some of our ministers would love to do something similar, but don't know where to get started. So how do you publish? What kind of gear do you use? What's the time commitment? What lessons have you learned while developing it? And and, and I would add, um, how do you do this alongside of all the other things the preparation of preaching the word, the leadership and pastoring of the church? Well, that's a long answer that I'm trying to uh, condense. It started because I watched the TV show. I have a terrible problem. I love watching good TV shows. And one of them is, is called, um, oh, now I can't remember. It's with Tim Allen, Last Man Standing. And at the end of these episodes, he began to do something called a video log. And it would be these humorous little things. And as I was talking to my wife, I'm like, wouldn't it be fun if we could do that for the church? Just boom, five minutes and that's it. And so one Sunday I tried, just did it. Took my phone, uh, leaned it against a couple of hymnals, and then uh, live casted that, and just spent five minutes working on one catechism question from our Heidelberg Catechism, because our church is in the Continental Reformed tradition. Well, we did that. I shared it. It was all right. And then I tried again and tried again, and little by little it, it began to become popular. Um, and uh, I, I've been able to go through the entirety of the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's been a wonderful means of just educating the people. I'm, I'm, I'm on my phone all the time. I imagine if you're listening to this, you're on your phone all the time. Then you're, you're checking out YouTube or Facebook Watch or whatever. And so I thought, why wouldn't we want to use this to help catechize people or introduce them to some of these topics? You know, I thought, what would I wish I had if I didn't know anything about the Reformed faith? And I think someone holding me by the hand and just talking about the catechism. So in terms of prep, I try really hard not to prep anything. We do an evening prayer service that is modeled very much on the uh, 1662 Book of Common Prayer in our congregation, and we add some things to that, um, and one of those things is a catechetical reading. So right now, we finish with the Heidelberg, we're going through the Belgic Confession. So I'll take that confession article that we read in the liturgy. After everyone leaves, I go sit in the corner, and I just put my iPhone up on a tripod, and put the Facebook um, page up and tell it to live stream. And that's it. There's been really nothing remarkable. It's actually wonderfully ordinary. And I'm surprised that people watch it because I'm like, I, I guess they're going to watch this. I'm just going to try it anyway. Who knows what's going to happen? And by God's grace so far, people have said it's been helpful for them. They've shared it. And I've been very grateful, uh, for those five minutes that I'm able to do. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that uh, practical insight with us. Um, a couple of quick questions that we didn't prep for. Firstly, um, Angelo, as I mentioned when we began the episode, uh, you are the pastor of Christ Reformed Church in Alexandria, Pennsylvania. What, what in your context do you believe are the greatest challenges facing uh, a local congregation uh, attempting to proclaim the gospel, uh, grow disciples, and make disciples? Well, there are, I think, two aspects that are unexpected. Well, one is expected, one is unexpected. I live in central PA, which the running gag is it's the northernmost belt buckle of the Bible Belt. We ride along the Appalachian Mountains, and it has its own unique culture. You know, when I moved out here from the Philadelphia region, I may have well moved to Pakistan. I mean, it was just a different context, different culture, different norms. It was a very difficult shift for my family and I, you know, but we've become uh, quite comfortable here. Uh, and, and one of the difficulties we've noticed is a nominal Christianity. Uh, people go to this church because my grandma's always gone to this church. What does that mean? Does that change your life? Should you be there? No, that's grandma's church. We go there. So on the one hand, there's this nominalism that's really taken root, and it's very difficult to work against. Everyone's a Christian is the assumption, and uh, uh, which inevitably uh, inevitably breeds this false idea that you're not allowed to to um, to challenge it. And there's this almost this sense of nicety that that can be crippling to evangelism. The other side of that, which is unexpected, is we have a liberal arts college, which is very progressive, uh, less than ten miles from the church, and it is a unique hub of modern or even postmodern culture in the area. And it's very challenging the Christian worldview, as you would often expect in more urban centers. Um, and so I think that those two things together have made this a very unique context in terms of both the nominal assumption of Christian morality and the flagrant rejection of it entirely. Those are challenges that um, many of us are facing around the country and in the Western world, especially uh, as we endeavor to uh, live out our lives faithfully in the service of Christ. Um, Angelo, uh, when people say to you, look, I don't need to read my Bible because really I'm not sure that the Bible is relevant to me today, what, what would you say to them? depend on the individual and my relationship with them. To the, uh, that would affect the depth of how hard I would be willing to push back. I would be asking a question on what is relevant, uh, what is relevant in the world. And then because I'm a fan of Cornelius Van Til and the presuppositional school of apologetics, I would begin to just work on their worldview and begin to tear it apart until they were left with nothing and admitting the inconsistencies of their worldview and then pointing them back to the triune God of Scripture, who is our sole foundation for all that is. Uh, I, I think that would be my meta approach, but the manner in which I would apply it would really be contingent on the person uh, and my relationship. And if, if I have uh, a longstanding relationship with them, if I could take my time, obviously not do that in one shot, maybe go to the movies with them, you know, build a friendship. But again, that's I, I have a particular person in mind that I'm thinking of. Um, but yeah. Well, thank you for sharing those insights with us. I, I, I hope that those who are listening to this episode know uh, uh, just how much I love and respect this uh, man, Angelo Vale. Uh, he's on my personal prayer list. I pray for him. I thank God for his scholarship and his ministry uh, and uh, the privilege that it is to walk together uh, serving Christ uh, with him. Uh, Angelo, my producer, Mark Steele, tells me that you and your wife— have a project in the works due to be released this year that he's very excited about. Um, is it too early to talk about that, or could Living Through the Word listeners get an exclusive sneak preview? 
Oh, they certainly can. My wife and I are very sick people. <laughs> we like to work far more than we probably should. Um, we, we fell in love in college sitting next to each other at a, at a table working. And so that's what we do. My wife is working on a, uh, a, a master's degree in biblical counseling, but her bachelor's degree, uh, she has two of them. Uh, she has one in business administration and one in children's ministry. And so one of the things that's always been so important for her and, and for us is Christian education. Again, I use language of, of catechesis. And what we found is we were trying to develop uh, our own kids' ministry in our church is that there really isn't, um, there isn't very substantive uh, theological material out there for people in terms of just like the basics of the faith, in terms of creedal knowledge, you know, the Apostles' Creed, Ten Commandments, Lord's Prayer, and certainly nothing in terms of a classical model of education. So in light of those limited materials, my wife and I have been developing a, uh, a classical Christian curriculum that is evangelical in terms of its broad overview. And if you follow through with the actual Sunday school lectures that go with it, it's distinctly reformed. Um, and so with that, we have in the classical model memory work so that you can help young ones work. So we've written uh, a catechism together uh, in four-year cycles. And so every year there's about 30, 35 to 36 um, question and answers, scripture proofs. Uh, there'll be Sunday school lectures for each single one of those questions, uh, which is primarily aimed at elementary school students. And then subsequently discussion questions for um middle school, and then further study for high school. And uh, as you can imagine, as we go up in the uh, developmental ranks, we increase our complexity uh, and intensity for study. And so the goal for this is that this would help churches and Sunday schools, uh, but also homeschooling uh, people who are looking to uh, grow and having a Bible curriculum, or even parents who have kids in public school, and they want them to just grow in knowing and loving the Lord, maybe using the Lord's Day well, um, and setting it apart to, to grow in the knowledge and love of our King. Well, that sounds like a fantastic project, and uh, I look forward to uh, 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 learning more about it and uh, taking a look at it. Thank you to you and your wife for working on it. I've been joined this week by my guest, the Reverend Angelo Vale, faithful follower of Jesus, pastor of Christ Reformed Church in Alexandria, Pennsylvania. Angelo, thank you so much uh, for joining us and being on this episode of Living Through the Word. Julian, it's been a pleasure to talk to you about all these different projects like the Illuminance Project my wife and I are working on. Thank you, brother. I'm Julian Dobbs, and this has been Living Through the Word. I commend you to God and the word of His grace.